Carly Noon describes her interests as nerdy. She is the first female Indigenous Australian to graduate with combined degrees in mathematics and science. She holds a Master of Astronomy and Astrophysics and is currently undertaking a PhD in astrophysics. But Carly, a Gamilaroi astrophysicist and science communicator, has worked with audiences around the country for the past 10 years, promoting Indigenous astronomical knowledge systems and advocating for more women in STEM. Carly's new book, co-written with Crystal DiNapoli, is called Astronomy Sky Country and is published by Thames and Hudson as part of its Indigenous Knowledges series edited by Margot Neal. Carly, congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you so much, Larissa. It's been amazing. <laughs> it's actually wonderful to see, having you know, sort of heard you give a lot of talks, listening to you, having interviewed you before. It's wonderful to see it all in one place where people can go and dive into some of these these bigger issues. And I'll unpack them a little bit um, further on in the show. But I just thought I'd start with getting you to share with us where your interest in astronomy came from. Oh, sure. Well, as you kind of alluded to, um, yeah, like this is this is a long time coming. Uh, we've been working, you know, myself and, and Crystal, the co-author, we've been working uh, in this space, in this field, on this topic uh, for quite a while now. For myself, it's been, uh, I don't even know, maybe six or seven years. And um, over that time, you know, I've just, Learned a lot. I've learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about my mom, learned a lot about, you know, obviously the universe and the sky itself. Um, but it, it, it all started really quiet in a, in a bizarre way. Um, and I don't even think it started, you know, when I started working. It started a lot long before that. Uh, when I was a bit, a bit younger, when I was about 19, I think it was when I first uh, started going to uni. Um, I went on this camp with the uh, Indigenous unit at uh, the University of Newcastle. Um, they're called Bulatuka and, you know, beautiful, beautiful people there. Um, you know, it was like my home away from home. And so we went on this camp, you know, it was my first year of uni. I'd moved off country. I had no family around me. I had no friends. <laughs> it was very fresh. And, uh, yeah, we went to this beautiful, beautiful place up in uh, dark and young country. And we were really, really lucky um, to, you know, to be guided by um, an elder and, and a, a dark and young knowledge holder. And it was this beautiful moment where we were all kind of sitting, literally sitting around um, campfire and uh, others were eating uh, marshmallows. I can't eat them because I'm allergic, but others were eating the marshmallows. And we were just listening to uncle tell stories and it was so beautiful. And I remember one story, it's just absolutely stuck with me for, you know, over 11 years now. And he was talking about the stars and he was talking about how, um, you know, how they connect to each other, how they connect to us down here on the earth. Uh, And, you know, I had never really thought about the sky like that, you know. Obviously, growing up Aboriginal, you know, you kind of – see everything as, as connected and you see, you know, the impacts that we have on, on different things. Um, as humans, you know, we don't, we don't own this place. We share it with a lot of, a lot of other creatures and a lot of, um, other systems at play, but, you know, I'd never really looked at the sky like that. 
Uh, and so that was kind of my first uh, light bulb moment, I guess I'll say, um, where, you know, I really started uh, learning about it um, in a meaningful way and, and, and in, a, in a cultural way as well, right? You know, we've all kind of been in those, um, you know, lessons about the planets and, and the sky and the stars and stuff, but, you know, never had it been quite like this, never had it meant so much to me. And so that was, for me, that was my kind of first moment. That really um, kind of uh, sat on the back burner for a while while I was doing um, doing my degrees. I was learning all about physics and all about maths. Uh, and that gave me a lot of really useful tools. Um, now, we always talk of, about mass in, in terms of it being a tool, um, and physics is very much like that. You know, it gives you the tool set to be able to understand how things work, um, the processes behind um, different cycles, and, uh, yeah, just gives you the tools to be able to um, interpret the, the workings of, of things. And so after that, after gaining the, that understanding I was able to approach, uh, you know, our cultural stories in a completely different way. Uh, you know, when I would hear stories and, and star stories, they weren't they weren't just, you know, and and we hear this all the time, us mom. You know, they're not just stories. They have so much information and so much knowledge embedded into them. And but it wasn't quite until I I really understood, you know, I had a good understanding of physics that I could really understand our stories like that. Um, you know, I just wasn't clever enough, I guess. But um, you know, not like our old people, but you know, I'm getting there and I was introduced to this whole field of um researchers who, you know, try and study our stories and try and understand them and, and, and find the information, the scientific information that's embedded in our stories. And so I, I made that connection about six years ago. And so this book is very much a, a big combination of, you know, not just the past six years or the past two years, but um, actually for about a decade. You seem to make this point about the way that thinking about Indigenous knowledges can give people a different way of seeing the world. And I think you make this point really clearly when you talk about the concept of dark skies. So I wonder if you could share some of your insights about that. It's really interesting, actually. You know, when we think about, um, you know, kind of historical constellations that we all know and we all love, you know, I'm a Leo, so of course I know that constellation. Um, you know, my sister's a Pisces. Again, of course I know that constellation. Um, and, you know, we, there are just these constellations that we know as, um, you know, as many different societies around the world. Uh, and, in fact, there's a international body that regulates this, and that is the International Astronomical Union. And so when we look at all of their, um, they actually have about, uh, they, they historically had 88 constellations that they recognized. And when you look at all of those 88 constellations, the, all of them, um, they look at how uh, the patterns the stars make. Now, when we think about, uh, you know, indigenous skies, indigenous night skies, and indigenous objects in those skies, constellations don't really um, 
they're very different. That's that's not really the types of things or the type the way that we look at the sky, right? There there are some constellations, definitely, um, but a lot of these objects that we talk about, they're they're more than that. They are places, or they are um, you know they're our our ancestors or our creator beings, um, or they're you know locations that we you know may go to. And so it's it's very very different. But not only that, not only um, you know is the meaning of it quite different, but also how how we view the sky. So um, you know, as I mentioned, there are some objects that are patterns in the stars. But what is really cool are our dark constellations. Um, now these are again kind of opposite. Uh, instead of making patterns out of the stars and out of the light, it's actually um, recognizing places or objects or people within the dark patches in our skies. Now, if you have, uh, you know, a beautiful nighttime sky, or even if you don't, you know, if you live in the middle of Sydney, um, you know, what features can you see in your sky? These these features are very sensitive, very very sensitive to things like you know light pollution and and anything that's impeding our view. Uh, you know, when we think about it, these light sources, these stars, they're traveling thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years away. And so they're very, very sensitive to, you know, things that we do here on Earth. And so, you know, even in order to be able to see our sky, the way in which we, we want to see our sky, it's actually very challenging for us um, because, you know, if the light is sensitive um, to things like light pollution, those dark pools, you know, those really subtle features, uh, they're incredibly vulnerable at the moment. Um, and, you know, particularly if you are in in a more populated area, but even, even so, um, you know, you can go out into... Uh, very, very far away from society and still be be struggling with with light pollution and, and struggling to see these dark features. So yeah, it is it is a very different way of looking at the sky, but it's also um, it's also very telling as well to the beautiful skies that our old people did have. I guess one thing too is that um, the, your book does allow allow a reader to understand a First Nations perspective on um, phenomena within astronomy. But I have to confess, for me, there were things there that I didn't even know of in the first place to even have a perspective on. And one of those things that I found really fascinating that you write about are moon halos. Um, and I wonder if you could um, share your insights and explain a First Nations perspective on this phenomena. Oh, I would love to. This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, now, moon halos, it's, it's a, uh, we call it a, a transient optical phenomena. Uh, basically, what that means is it's an event that happens and then it goes away. Uh, and it's very, very similar to a rainbow in that respect. Uh, that is basically, um, you know, very similar thing happening there. Uh, so essentially what happens is the process of a moon halo occurring, uh, it all involves, it all has to do with clouds. And so if we have uh, a low-pressure system, which uh, low-pressure systems usually, um, they store rain, basically. They're like rain clouds. Uh, and if that comes in contact with a, a warm front, what will happen, of course, we know warm air rises. And so this low-pressure system, 
uh, can force um, a warm system or um, a warm front into a higher position in the atmosphere. Now, when that happens, that warm front, it gets pushed really fast by uh, really really high winds, um, you know, kind of the higher you go up, the higher the winds are. And so that that wind uh, pushes the clouds along into a particular direction. So while that is all happening, uh, the low-pressure system is lagging behind. Now, what happens is that warm that warm front, um, as, as it goes higher up, it turns into a cloud called a cyrus cloud. Now, these are very special clouds. They store ice crystals, and it's actually the light passing through these ice crystals that create the moon halo. And what happens is the light passes through, uh, the light's path is altered, it changes through a process called refraction. And we get a beautiful halo when this happens uh, with lots and lots of crystals. Now, this tells us that, okay, not only do we have this this Cyrus cloud um, in the upper atmosphere, but there's very likely a low-pressure system, um, i.e. storm clouds, following behind it. Now, not only did you know our, our moms and all the nations recognize this, but they also were able to use this fact, the fact that moon halos can uh, indicate that stormy weather is coming, but they can also use variations in that moon halo to determine uh, you know the severity of the storm um, or you know try and find out a little bit more information. So, for example, one mom, uh, they would measure the wind. They would, you know, determine the wind. And if they found that it was a really windy night, there was probably going to be rain very, very soon. However, if there wasn't too much wind going on, then they could, you know, determine, okay, it's probably a little while away. We have a bit of time before the storm hits. Um, another example is counting how many stars you can see between the moon and the halo. If you can see quite a lot of stars, there's probably not going to be too much rain. However, if there are barely any stars, this tells you, okay, there's a lot of water vapor in the air uh, and in the atmosphere. There's probably going to be quite a big downfall. So, you know, not only can it help predict, you know, the storm is coming, but you can also use these these very subtle variations to determine what it's going to look like. I just find it so fascinating, <laughs> just unbelievably fascinating. It's a lovely, um, wonderful reminder that one of the amazing things about our Indigenous knowledges is that they can give us new ways to solve problems that feel quite intractable. How does it feel to have the book finally out? Oh, it feels really surreal. You know, as I said, this is this has been a long time. This is, you know, my thoughts from the past you know, 10 years and it's incredible. I am so proud and I am so, so thankful to be here, Ryan. Like I'd never, uh, you know, I was talking to my mob yesterday actually um, and to some of my elders and, you know, I never thought that I should be here. I never felt like, you know, this, this was a place for me. I never felt, um, you know, clever enough or worthy enough or black enough or whatever it is, you know. Um, but they were really the ones that, that pushed me and believed in me and, and told me to go for it. And so, you know, I'm just so thankful to be here and, and so proud of my mob and, you know, everyone's mob. And, 
yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really grateful. Well, congratulations. It's a wonderful book. I really enjoyed it. And as I said, I learned so much, um, things that I didn't even know when it's so accessible. So I highly recommend Sky Country to everyone who's interested in finding out more about First Nations views of astronomy. It's a revelation. So thank you so much, Carly. I feel like this builds upon your general passion for um, science communication. You're not just somebody who studies it, but you do really love to share the knowledge as well, which is a wonderful thing. Thanks so much, Lisa. Yanni. Carly Noon is an Indigenous astrophysicist and science communicator. Her new book, co-written with Crystal DiNapoli, is Astronomy, Sky Country and is published by Thames & Hudson. 